Hello everyone, today is November 22nd, 2014, and this is Indie Radio, broadcast number 49. Indie Radio is an indie game development talk show which is here to bring you interviews with both large and lesser known developers, recap the latest news, debate about topics in indie game development, and to give you some tips and tricks for journeying into game dev. Um, again, today is November 22nd, 2014, and I'll be your host, Brett Hudson, broadcasting live from the U.S. East Coast. Hi, um, my name is Nina Freeman. Uh, I am a game developer. Um, I made games like How Do You Do It um, and Ladylike. Uh, and I live in New York and I'm working on games here. My current project is called Civil. Cool. Right, so uh, as always, we do a little indie gaming news uh, before we head into the interview. So, what's going on right now? Uh, there is a game jam going on over at Game Jolt uh, called Indies vs. PewDiePie, and that's pretty cool. There uh, is a reward for people that enter the top 10 games uh, voted by the community will get reviewed by PewDiePie, which I, that, that's, that's pretty neat. Uh, I'm not, not a big fan of PewDiePie myself, but he's got... How many subscribers does he even have now? Do you know? He has like millions. <laughs> like a lot. That would be such good visibility. I didn't know that was part of the jam. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so obviously you got to do that if if you want to get eyeballs on your games. Uh, the game, jam started yesterday, November 21st, and it ends at midnight EST on or tomorrow night, I think. Yeah. Um... And then voting ends December 1st, so check that out if you guys want. It's on gamejolt.com. And there's been a couple other things in the news. Um, but that's that's about it. Noth nothing too big. Uh, there's still stuff going on with that stupid hashtag campaign that we don't talk about on here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, can I add to the news? <laughs> sure. I'd love to make... Um... My really good friend who like kind of got me into game dev originally, Diego Garcia, and two of his uh, uh, team, Tony Pizza and Aaron Friedman, released an iOS game, Sunburn, yesterday, and it's really amazing. Everyone should check it out. It's about dying together with your friends in space. Oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Everyone should play it. <laughs> I'm really proud of it. It does sound good. Yeah, I'm I'm getting a uh, an iOS device soon. Um, nice. Get yeah, a, you should get it. It's really good. There's a bunch of games that I need to play, but I'll I'll add that to my list. Thank you. <laughs> I gotta wait for it. You said Sunburn? Yep, Sunburn game. Sunburn game. All right, I've got it. All right, so uh, this is this is our interview with Nina Freeman. The one and only. So, uh, you said that your friend got you into game development? Yeah, um, I guess I was like an English major in undergrad and like loved games and whatever. And like all my friends played games, I played games all the time. And I used to program when I was a kid, but then I stopped. Um, and then I kind of met a bunch of people who were into games in New York and sort of saw like Diego and Emmett Butler, who works with me now, um, they were working on a game called Heads Up Hot Dogs at the time when I started hanging out with them. Um, and just seeing them work on that, I was like, whoa, I can do that too, I think. And like, I want to do that because I like, I like storytelling and stuff. So it's like games, I love games, so I might as well try and make one. Um, so they kind of inspired me to start. Um, so that was kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah. 
So you were located in New York, right? You said? Yeah. Yep. I went to Pace University for undergrad, um, and I had sort of just graduated from there uh, shortly before I started making games. Um, and yeah, and I've been in New York for like six years now, and I'm at NYU in their master's program in uh, grad school. Still here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so uh, we met at IndieCade, and yep. I believe you said something about um, high school while you were there, and at, at first I thought you were saying that you were still in high school, and I was like, what? But, no. <laughs> <laughs> <you're>... I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you're a teacher at a high school, right? You teach some class? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I help run this organization called Code Liberation. Um, we run uh, women exclusive classes in New York um, and we like kind of take them with us to conferences all over the place um, to teach women how to make games um, and last year I taught a year-long uh, C++ game developing class for high schoolers um, at a local all-girls high school near NYU um, so NYU uh, was generous enough to let me use their space and I worked with their STEM program to sort of organize this high school class so we did games in a Open Frameworks, which is a C++ um, creative coding library, mm-hmm. um, and we kind of did that all year, and it was really cool, and actually my uh, co-code liberation teacher, Kat Small, is teaching those same girls this year. They're sort of, they came back for a second <laughs> round. That's, that's too cool. Have, yeah, uh, have any of them made anything uh, notable that, that you, uh, I guess, would like to share? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't think they've released anything publicly, but I'm sure, like, I mean, now that they'll have been doing it for, like, a little over a year, um, mm-hmm. I, I feel pretty sure that they'll probably start putting stuff online, I imagine. Um, Kat, it's, it's, I guess it's a little harder to do, like, put open framework games online, because they'd have to sort of build, like, an executable, but, mm-hmm. as far as I know, at least, um, but Kat is teaching them, I believe, um, Phaser, which is, uh, I think, a JavaScript Oh, yeah, I heard of them. Like HTML5 games, which will make it a lot easier for them to put them online. Mm-hmm. So I definitely hope they do that because the prototypes they made in my class were really cool. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I just heard about Phaser and it looks pretty pretty cool. Yeah, Kat uses it all the time. She's a really talented JavaScript developer. Um, I haven't gotten to try it out myself, but it's something I'm interested in. So you said that uh, you were teaching in C++, what, what all languages do you know? Um, I guess I was doing a lot of C++ back then. I haven't done it as much lately because um, my current project is actually uh, ActionScript. I'm using ActionScript 3, so it's like going to be an Adobe Air okay. application type thing. Not like in the, it's not going to be like a web game, but we're using Adobe Air to like distribute it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's ActionScript 3. Um, I work at Kickstarter, actually, as a web developer, and I do Ruby on Rails there. Um, and I like know a little JavaScript. I've been working on a game in JavaScript too. Well, using um, Angular JS, which is like this really cool JavaScript framework. Um, so I guess those are the three that I've been doing a lot of lately. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so with Kickstarter, what what do you do there? Uh, I am a software developer there. I was an intern there over the summer uh, doing like web development, and then now I'm working there part-time, doing grad school, doing the thing, um, coding for them. <laughs> They're super nice there. <laughs> I like it. It's great. It's a great job to have while I'm in grad school. 
So with uh, Kickstarter, if you do you feel that you have like a better grasp of the the system and how it works now that you've uh, had a position there? Um, I mean, it's you know, it's really interesting just being around people that are talking about it all the time. So yeah, I think just because I'm so immersed in it, I understand more stuff about it than I did before. But you know, I haven't yet had the chance to run my own project, and I feel like it's hard to really understand what it's like to be a creator unless you are a creator at some point, um, at least from my perspective. So maybe I'll do that someday. It would be a really interesting experiment to sort of get a sense of what that's like. Because um, I'm so mired in code all the time that, you know, it's just sort of like, it's <laughs> coding <laughs> on a website is a lot different than running a Kickstarter project. Oh, um, sure. But the community is really great. Um, so that's been sort of nice to see. Um, but yeah, so I guess that's my perspective is sort of like, I code and I'm sort of around these cool people that are doing interesting stuff and I try and absorb sort of the things that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, there's this guy that I know that runs Kickstarter campaigns for indie developers. Uh, his name's oh, cool. Michael Cox, and uh, every single one that he runs is successful, and I've listened to him rant about this. Like He says that there's all these specified times that you should release updates and do certain mm-hmm. things, which day to launch on. Like, do, you, do you guys are... Well, I'm sure somebody there is aware of the statistics, but... Like, do you guys ever chat about that or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something people talk about. Um, it's sort of, you know, I'm programming there, so it's sort of a little beyond my scope of understanding. I haven't been there for that long. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure there's, I mean, it's the same, like, I know when I use Twitter, like, if I'm trying to promote something, there's, like, a pretty specific way to do it that I know will work. Like, I know that tweeting something out on, like, a Tuesday around noon is usually the time that I'll get the most sort of leverage out of the tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's just something that's common to like promoting yourself on the internet is just like figuring out when people are paying attention. Um, and like, you know, people are more likely to open emails, for example, like during the midday on the weekdays, right? Because they're at work. So like there's mm-hmm. a lot of things you can kind of like learn just from promoting yourself on the internet, whether it's a Kickstarter or not, it's all sort of like, I don't know, there's a lot of similar things at play there, I think. So what's going on with your latest game? It's, how, how do you pronounce it again? Civil. Civil, okay. I, yeah, I pronounced it a dozen different ways. Like, Civil? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's, C- a, it's a name that I've been using for like online game characters since I was in high school, like middle school, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, there was a girl, I did a lot of theater when I was a kid, and there was a girl in the theater that I really admired that was a few years older than me, and her AIM screen name was Sybil, <laughs> with like a couple numbers at the end, and so I totally, like, when I was naming my online game characters, I was like, I want to be just like her, so I used her AIM screen name. <laughs> um, and I pronounced it wrong, too, until I asked her one day how it was pronounced. I think I used to pronounce it Sibily. Um, and then I was talking to her, and she was like, oh, yeah, it's Sibel. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's not exactly an intuitive pronunciation. <laughs> so what's this game about? Um, it's about my experience playing an online game um, and having a relationship with a guy in that game. Um, so you sort of are playing this kind of, like, fake online game uh, and, like, it's just about like real, like online relationships essentially, um, and it's sort of based on like my own like life 
because um, you know, like a lot of the games, I like to make autobiographical games, and I'm really mm-hmm. interested in vignette games right now. So like games that are character studies. So it's sort of like a, a character study of two people who are in an online relationship, and like how that works. So you're collaborating on this uh, with yes. two other people, right? Uh, it's like actually six people. Six people. On it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been misinformed. Yeah, it's quite a big team. Um, all their names are on the SybilGame.com website, but it's uh, myself, uh, Emmett Butler is helping me out programming, mm-hmm. um, Decky Koss is doing sound and music, and she's worked on like all of my other games, so like how do you do it, she did as well. Um, and Rebecca Dunlap is an illustrator, she's doing art. Mm, yep. Justin Briner is a really talented voice actor, um, he's in Texas, but he's working with us doing voice acting, and Samantha Corey, who's actually my roommate, who's <laughs> doing filming for it, she's a filmmaker <laughs> Neat. um so yeah i think that's everyone <laughs> yeah i think the two that i i heard were working on it were emmett and uh, rebecca yep yeah uh yeah and i actually this is my first project with rebecca but uh she's really talented and i'm super happy to be working with her because she like you know she comes from like a an illustration background and i think it's really kind of interesting to work with her um her art is like really amazing so but Emmett and Decky I've worked with on like multiple like many projects at this point so um, it's kind of fun to have like a diverse team oh for sure yeah so where where did you meet everybody like uh how did, uh, how did you meet everybody <laughs> yeah uh so well Emmett is my partner uh so <laughs> him and I uh met I don't know we like we, we met by like going to actually it's when I met Diego too and they're the two that got me into games um a couple like two or three years ago or no it was like four years ago I don't even know it was so long ago um we were both going to a lot of chiptune shows in New York we <laughs> 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 uh, like you know like Automotive Machine the Chipper and like all these people and we were like sort of going there's like a I don't I haven't been going to many shows lately but there was sort of this really interesting chiptune scene back then um and there was like a show basically every week and I was really like I was going to those shows all the time it was sort of like my social life back then and um so I met Emmett there and Emmett knows Decky from they went to NYU together I believe they were both doing like music tech related degrees um and we're really good friends and then Decky did, I think, like, an early game jam we did together, um, and Rebecca and I know each other because we have, like, many mutual friends. Um, I think I met her through Diego, the person who made Sunburn. Um, Samantha's my roommate, we went to college together, um, <laughs> and Justin I know through someone I interned with at Killscreen, actually. I interned at Killscreen a couple years ago. Um, there was this really nice guy, Nick, and he introduced me to Justin, which was very nice, because I was looking for a voice actor, and he was like, ah, I have this friend, he does voice acting. Um, I think he does voice acting for, like, some animes and games, and, like, I don't know, what? he seems to have quite the repertoire, so it's kind of amazing to be working with him. He works in anime, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh... Oh, we should probably get this out of the way. Um, I saw the word Smash on your Twitter feed. Who, who, who <laughs> yeah. are you playing as? Uh, who am I what? Who, who, are you, who have you been maining? Like, uh, oh, who have I been maining? Um, so, I have been playing... I mean, like, you know, we just got it yesterday. Uh, so I was, like, playing all sorts of different <laughs> characters. I was really excited that there was somebody, like, anime 
Anyway, boys, like, I guess they're mostly for, like, Fire Emblem. I'm not really, like, I haven't actually played Fire Emblem, which is kind of a shame. I really want to get the 3DS one. Um, but I love all the anime boys, so I've been playing them. But my normal main for, like, Smash games in general is Zelda. So I've been, like, playing, actually, this morning I was playing, and I'm kind of practicing Zelda's new moveset, because um, that's sort of, like, if I'm playing, like, sort of competitively with my friends or whatever, I'll play her, because <laughs> I know her the best, um... So, yeah, she's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to play the new Smash. Because it's been out for... How long has it been out for DS? Like, uh, oh, two months? DS. Oh, God, yeah, it's been out for, like, I don't know, like, a month, maybe, for <sighs> I need to get one. <laughs> I don't yeah, have money yeah, for I really, this. I played it, I played my friend one on 3DS, like, really briefly, but... Really, we were excited. Uh, Emma and I were excited about the Wii U version, so we got that. Like, we got it, like, right away. Like, Thursday at midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like such an idiot. We, uh, me and my roommate were walking by GameStop and we saw all these people outside and we're like, what, what comes out tonight? And they all looked at us like we were, this, like, I, I don't even know how to describe the look. It was just like, <laughs> like, ew, get away from us. I kind of wish we had bought the physical copy of it, actually, but we, like, downloaded it so that we could uh, get it Thursday at midnight, <laughs> which, I don't know, I kind of love having the boxes for games, because I like having sort of, like, a collection of them in my bookshelf, and, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I don't know what it is about it, but it feels good to have, like, a collection. Mm-hmm. And it was always fun as a kid to, like, open it up on the car ride mm-hmm. home and start reading reading the instruction manual. Oh, Yeah. And, like, they put a lot of, you know, like, they're designers that, like, work on that kind of thing specifically, like, and that's a huge part of the experience. Like, the game sort of starts right when you open the box or, like, right when you download it. So that's why, like, you know, instruction manuals and stuff, like, I guess they're, like, not as much of a thing anymore as they were when I was younger, but, like, that was always, like, a huge thing. Like, before I would even play the game, I would read through the instruction manual and, like, look at all the art, and it was sort of, like, this build-up. So I kind of have a big appreciation for that kind of, like, package design and stuff. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, there we had, well, not last week, two weeks ago, we had uh, IndieBox on the show. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't. Who are they? Oh, so they're a group actually down here in Orlando, and they uh, they create indie boxes. Uh, so each each month, uh, your subscription comes in the mail, and you don't know what game it is, but they basically create box kits of indie games. They did uh, Luftrazers uh, last month. They did uh, Brutal Legend. Uh, they haven't oh, wow. announced what game they did this month, so I don't think I'm supposed to talk about that yet. But they also had uh, some other games, like Mousecraft, Teslagrad, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the other one, but they, they, they actually create their own instruction manuals for these games, and they print them out on discs and put them in here, or put it in the in the box with the Steam code, and there's all these cool little collectibles, and uh, that, was, that was just kind of neat that you uh, mentioned that the, yeah, no, the journey awesome. starts at the box, because that's pretty much their philosophy, too. Yeah, that's really, I'm, that's so cool that someone's doing that. Um, I think people don't think about it very often. I don't even think I was thinking about it that much, but I saw, until like last year, I went to the practice conference at NYU, and, um, oh god, there was a talk by the designer of Risk Legacy, and he, really? he's a board game designer, and he was talking about how, like, he, like, had this whole part of his talk where he was talking about how, like, the experience, uh, starts with opening, like, it starts literally when you're looking at the game on the shelf and, like, seeing the box, because mm-hmm. that has, like, 
you know, there's like narrative aspects to a box even like, cause if you choose what you put on the, the cover of it very carefully, you can leave a real impression on people. Um, and like hearing him talk about that and how like the act of opening the box and like the specific things that you have to dig through to get to the game itself can be like really meaningful. And I was like, Whoa, that's kind of amazing. And like, I hadn't thought about it that deeply before, but that kind of mm-hmm. prompted me to, to reflect on it. Yeah. And we're losing it. Because of digital distribution. No. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> I'm sure, I mean, people always find ways to personalize things. I guess, like, it's like, oh, does your game have a, have a start screen? Or, like, some kind of <laughs> menu before you play it? You know, like, there's mm-hmm. ways to sort of give give off the vibe of that experience, at least, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, five years ago, if I would have told myself that I download most of my games, <laughs> I don't think I would have yeah, believed I've... myself. No, I you gotta like, have the box collection. Especially when I find speaking of like things that sort of complement the game that are not in the game itself, like that's what I think are, is really interesting about those. Because we're talking about Smash, those like amiibo figures. Because mm-hmm. those actually like not only are these they these sort of like separate artifacts, like outside of the game that you can kind of like have on your shelf or whatever, uh, but they like interact with the game itself, which I think is like really cool like you can use them to like select your character if you like put them up against the screen of your like controller i believe um so i don't know i thought that was like it's like kind of a fascinating way to like extend the game into the real world mm-hmm. kind of that's why like i like that game hey you pikachu too because that's like another thing with like a physical extension so which one like hey you pikachu you know like that old n64 game no a bit before my time i'm sorry oh really it's so good <laughs> um you can like God, I don't even, I barely remember it, but what I do remember is, like, having, like, a microphone and you would, like, talk to your Pikachu and, like, you could, like, call out for it. And that was what? Like, sort of the mechanic of the game. You could, like, talk to the Pikachu. Um, and I don't know. And it has, like, this kind of silly-looking yellow microphone. <laughs> and it's, like, I don't know, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I don't know if people in the chat are, are like, how do you not know what Hey You Pikachu is? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, see, now I, now I gotta look it up. Hey, you, <laughs> Pikachu. I, I know what it is now, guys. It's got oh, pretty so cool. I looked up too. They have it for the DS. I didn't even realize that. I, I just remember from the 64 but yeah. I mean, the, like, it's not as cute as the Amiibo kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, like adorably Pikachu themed. It's just yellow. Um, but I mean, I imagine if they did something like similar like the amigo thing reminds me of that kind of thing like mm-hmm. it seems like nintendo's interested in doing that kind of weird quirky experiment which i appreciate <laughs> well yeah they have they have they did the wii they did the ds they did the wii u they're all yeah. into all those weird peripherals oh yep now i'm an expert that's, that's right <laughs> Ian. yeah um so where do you see yourself in five years do you have any idea <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I'm, I feel like my vision is so, I'm like feeling sort of very short-sighted lately as a side effect of my, like finishing my master's thesis, <laughs> which, uh, I don't know if you went to grad school or anything, but like it, it gets sort of hectic towards the end. I'm defending my thesis actually in <laughs> three weeks, I think. Um, so I'm just sort of trying to like finish the paper and I am like, I, it's, I'm writing about Sybil, that game I'm working on. So mm-hmm. And kind of interesting to be working on it while like working on this paper too um and 
I guess after I have that, I don't know. I just want to keep making games. So I'll keep doing that. You know, like we're working on Sybil basically every week. Like we work on it a lot um, in our free time. Um, and that's been really rewarding so far. So I am kind of excited to see what happens with it when we release it. Because I'm sure that that will have a big impact on whatever I choose to do next. But I'll definitely keep making these like experiments in vignette games because that's really what I'm kind of passionate about um, <laughs> right now at least. So I like, you know, I have like a list of ideas in the notepad app on my phone of like memories <laughs> I have from like childhood or like from the past that are these like weird vignettes that I feel like would make interesting games. So I hope that I'll be able to sort of chip away at that list and make tons of weird little games about like uh, being a kid or whatever, like being a person, doing person things, you know, like ordinary life things, games about ordinary life, I guess. I hope that I can make lots more of those. Well, it'll be the headline, people doing ordinary people <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fruit. like, you know, people think, how do you do it? It's hilarious and whatever. And like, but if you think about it, it's really pretty ordinary. Like, it's not some sort of like crazy idea that a little girl would be playing with her dolls, <laughs> right? So like, but I, you know, I managed to find humor in the situation, which is nice, but uh, it's still like an ordinary life experience, and that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in making, so I just want to keep pushing that boundary, and like, I'm definitely trying to do that with Sybil, um, and it just, you know, it, it, people, there are definitely a lot of games about relationships, but I feel like not a lot of them tell the personal stories of relationships, like, they often... Like, dating sims, for example, will, like, give you a choice in who you want to date, mm -hmm. for example. Um, and I am interested in thinking about gay things about relationships and things like that in terms of, like, a specific experience rather than letting the players shape it deliberately. Like, I'd rather give them okay. the tools to understand that experience and the mechanics to understand it rather than, like, I'm not as interested in making interesting choices or whatever. Um, I, I'd rather try to find mechanics that are really, really descriptive of an experience. Um, so that's, you know, I guess that's my big challenge for myself every time I work on a game, is like how to come up with those mechanics and design them in an interesting way. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Nobody's, I, I don't think anybody's quite done that yet. So. Well, I think like, I mean, you know, games like Dysphoria is a really good example. Like, I mean, Dysphoria is kind of the game that made me become interested in this kind of game, because Dysphoria is like a really... Have you played Dysphoria before? No. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a game about... It, it was made by Anna Anthropy about her... She's a trans woman, and it's about her mm -hmm. experience undergoing hormone replacement therapy. Um, and it's like a vignette of that experience, and all the mechanics are very like narratively driven. Like Each one is purposefully chosen in order to sort of help the player understand this like a specific circumstance of her experience um so like there's one part that that says like girly clothes don't fit and this is before she starts the hormone replacement therapy and the whole mechanic is like pulling down on the shirt to try and get it over this like uh <laughs> like character's head on the screen and you're pulling and pulling but you can never really get the shirt on um okay. so i think you know mechanics like that are really interesting when they really shed light on this, like, narrative um, and, and give a player a sense of an experience. Um, and, like, Gone Home does it really well, too. Like, that's another... Oh, yeah. Big, like, a linear narrative <laughs> with where it gives you the mechanics to understand the narrative rather than giving you mechanics that let you change the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, or let you, like, like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. Um, 
So I'm really inspired by like those kinds of games. Um, and I think Kentucky Read Zero is doing something kind of like that too. And you know, you do get to choose sort of what like what you say in certain parts of Kentucky Read Zero, but ultimately that isn't, as far as I can tell, affecting the outcome of the game. It's more like where you're exploring conversations, which is actually kind of what I was doing with Ladylike. Um, I actually talked with the Kentucky Route Zero guys once, and we were like talking about this how, like, Kentucky Route Zero isn't about branching narrative. It's just like, like each conversation, like you can go to different parts of the conversation, but ultimately it always ends up sort of moving on to the next part of the game, like in more of a linear way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is kind of the same structure I use for my game Ladylike, um, where it is like you pick what you want to say, but ultimately it's more of a web than like a branching narrative structure. Um, you're just sort of exploring one linear conversation, essentially, but by going in like sort of different, like if you imagine a spider web, like, and if you're starting from point A at the bottom of the web to point B at the top, um, you can sort of take different paths down it, but ultimately you get to the same ending, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of interesting too. Um, but I sort of moved past that and now focusing more on like core mechanics rather than uh exploring these text webs i think i'll probably do some more stuff like that that's a, i'm kind of doing that with mangia but i don't know there's lots of different stuff <laughs> sorry word vomit <laughs> no it's all good you're here to vomit on a radio show <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't i don't even know where to go from that now. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, yeah, all, all I'm trying to say is that there is a lot of potential for mechanics to explore narrative beyond, like, choose your own adventure mm-hmm. or, like, dating sim style things where you're kind of picking, the players picking their own outcome. And I'm interested in making linear things that, like, give the player agency in order to experience the narrative rather than letting them shape it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I like doing. So I want to do more of that. And Sybil, I hope, accomplishes that. Um, and I'm hoping to re-release Mangia really soon, um, another game I worked on, like a more fuller version of it, um, with okay. like, illustrations and music and whatnot, and I am trying to refine that game to make it more effective in that respect, too, so sort of the two projects that I'm experimenting with right now. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've obviously I checked out a few of your games before I uh, had you on the show, and I, I like the direction that you're going. It's very fre- uh, refreshing. Thank you. Um, however, when when I was at Indiecade, I I don't know why, but how do you how do you do it made me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that. Um, <laughs> Not everyone, but sometimes. I I'm a person that like doesn't get uncomfortable, so having having that happen was weird. So yeah, why do you think it made you feel uncomfortable? I I don't know. I I think it was just like. Part of the the rush of being at Indiecade and just not not knowing what was going on, I I really don't know. <laughs> Sounds like the little girl in the story because she doesn't really know what's going on either. <laughs> yeah, I, I found out what sex was at Indiecade and I was just like, <laughs> oh my god, what's going on? No. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah. So, uh, anybody in the IRC have any questions? I know Ian here has been chatting, chatting it up quite a bit. Yeah, I'm down to answer anything. Um, also down to talk about how having to do it made you uncomfortable. 
people. <laughs> I don't. I rarely get to ask people like more about that because usually when the game makes them feel uncomfortable at shows like that, they kind of just like like leave or like apologize to me and then walk away. Um, but I think it's. I don't know. I, I'm kind of into the fact that it makes people uncomfortable because I. I that's not the kind of emotion that many games elicit, and I'm interested in eliciting that like different kinds of emotions. So. I'm, mm-hmm kind of excited that how do you do it did that and it's funny because for me like I wouldn't expect that because it's something that I did as a kid so thinking about it doesn't feel awkward to me but obviously it's not everyone's life experience so it it may be a little jarring um Mm -hmm. so I don't know it's kind of interesting that it does that and it's not something I plan but it's sort of like a thing that happens like with it organically especially at shows I think that's a lot of it is also performance anxiety almost because people feel like they're being watched I noticed that like some people who feel uncomfortable when they're playing it will like look over their shoulder nervously like someone's watching, um, which I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I like watching people play it. <laughs> yeah, I I can't really give you any more details off the top of my head of like why it made me uncomfortable. Oh, by the way, Ian Ian says hi. Hi, Ian. <laughs> Except he's not he's not our Ian on the show. It's Ian Ian Wex Ten RZ. Yeah. What? Ian, who is in LA, who was that indicator, who's a friend of mine. He's pretty nice. Cool. He's also a game maker. <laughs> Hello, fellow game dev. But yeah, I do remember being at IndieCade, and um, I couldn't stop giggling while I was playing a game. And then I got off, was still giggling. I said, cool game, and then I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, is like, there isn't many, like, there isn't many stories about, like, young girls like that that are really honest about, like, because, I mean, like, young girls and, like, young boys and young people all over the place, like, do stuff like that. They're, like, curious about the world, and they do embarrassing things, and they make fools of themselves sometimes, and, like, I don't know, I think that that's something that, like, we should talk about more in games, because I think that, you know, coming from a poetry background, I know, like, a big inspiration for How Do We Do It was Elizabeth Bishop's poem in the waiting room about a little girl seeing breasts for the first time in a National <laughs> Geographic magazine. And it's totally like a terrifying, like you're reading and you're like, oh my God, because it's like the way she describes like the breasts she sees in the magazines is like sort of like, like she's horrified because she like doesn't understand. <laughs> uh, and she's sitting there with like her aunt in the doctor's office and it's just sort of this like awkward scenario. Um, and I, I got a huge kick out of that because I was like, I totally did that. Like, I totally went to the supermarket and grabbed, like, crappy tabloids off the rack and <laughs> read them and, like, ran away blushing because, like, there's all these, like, pictures of girls in bathing suits and, like, boys without shirts on. And I, I was just, like, I was so young and I was like, oh, my God, what is happening? Um, so, and I think there's, like, a lot of humor in those situations. So, like, I don't know. I hope more people make funny childhood games after playing How Do You Do It. That would be, like, the best outcome for me from that game. <laughs> All right. So you got to head out now? From uh, yeah. yeah. I have, like, uh, I guess I can go to, like, 40 minutes. So we have, it's, like, 38 minutes. I can go for a couple more minutes. Okay. Um, I don't know if there's, like, any questions that people have or any final questions that you have. No, uh, it looks like... Uh, Ian's the only one really active, unless Mr. Fourth Dimension has something. <laughs> uh, Rigbone was was in here, but he disappeared. Um, nah, you we've depleted most most of my questions. Um, 
Typically, the show's just, uh... <laughs> you said the chat's practically empty. Yeah, that <laughs> um, I miss when people used to just use chat rooms by default. I was actually looking around online yesterday at, like, and I was doing a little research for the Sybil game, and I was looking at these old, like, fan shrines for these, like, <laughs> anime sites I used to go to. And I actually found an old Angel Fire one that still had, like, a chat room embedded into the page. Like, a Java chat room. <laughs> That's what <laughs> we got on really our site. Like... The last minute of the recording was corrupted and was unrecoverable. We are sorry for this inconvenience. Thank you for listening in to broadcast number 49 of Indie Radio. This broadcast is broadcasted live on 1000 mics and recorded using Audacity. Our next broadcast will be December 6th, featuring an interview with Florian Himsel. Thank you again for listening and have a fantastic weekend.